Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Listen to the new album last night and there was a line that stuck out to me on the opening track where you talk about breaking out of this way of thinking yes was that a reflection of your attitudes kind of going into this album was there a desire there to think in new ways and break out of creative patterns definitely i mean i i set myself a trap (laughs) (laughs) i did it on purpose to myself uh which was when when i was doing the last record which was the kind of compilation best of thing in all the press so anyone that would listen i told that the next record would sound different and then because i told everyone that i really had to follow through <laughs> because i couldn't i basically did it so i had no choice because obviously i've been doing what i do for a long time and it's quite easy to just be like what do i sound like i sound like this so let's just do that it's easy because i've been doing it for years um but i purposely wanted to make sure that that did not that didn't that didn't happen and that that it kind of grew and changed so the last the last thing was very much a line in the sand for me because it was a straight thought process up to kind of hit the ground running was when I, I feel like i found my feet in the studio and really like got to grips with how i wanted things to sound and then kind of taking that that as a basis and expanding it and not basically just taking off any any kind of genre constraints i did have them but i don't know if they were real or completely like self-imposed but I thought that I couldn't do something like Sinking Sand, the first track, because it's just too far down a different road. It's very Black Keezy. Kind of got yeah. the cozy stomp to it. Yeah, it's so much fun, especially like live. It's going to be, it's gonna, yeah, it's huge. I've been, I'm building my rig for the next tour now, and it is, it's loud. It's, gonna, <laughs> it's loud. Because I think what I've, done, what I've done in the past is I was, I was actually doing things that were so complicated that no one knew what I was doing. And I think when less then 2% of the audience knows, like, understands what's going on. It's probably a waste of time. And I spent months <laughs> working out how to do this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just crossed the line. There's actually a, a musician friend who I'd seen out the front of loads of gigs, watched me from side of stage, and came up after me and said, I had no idea what you were doing. I mean, I didn't really think about it. I just enjoyed it. But I, I thought they were backing tracks. I thought there was all this stuff going on. I didn't realize you were manually doing everything at the same time <laughs> but no one no one knew no one cared is more importantly 
and it i think it did there was so much physical mathematics involved i feel like it must have detracted from the performance especially vocally because you can't connect with all of your limbs and fully commit to the vocal at the same time you're having to kind of put things on autopilot so i've i'm yeah i'm taking a slightly different route involving loads more equipment and to be honest a lot more noise it's going to be a lot louder and should be i think it'll be i think i can sit back a lot more and actually focus on connecting with people and performing songs as opposed to doing stuff that's so complicated <laughs> that no one even knows what the fuck i'm doing uh so yeah yeah i'm really looking forward to it. it's gonna be fun but sinking sand yeah, it was definitely a, a stylistic shift. I feel like there's quite a few on this. There's definitely loads of stuff on this record that couldn't be on any other record I made. Sinking Sand doesn't fit anywhere else. There's a few tracks which are, are kind of closer, but I still think production-wise, it's, it's much more advanced. I actually really realised in... I was just kind of topping and tailing what I did yesterday. I just suddenly realised quite how much I'd learned in the last solid two years in the studio. Because I was kind of just flying around editing stuff. And then I hit play and it was just finished. And I was like, that would not have been possible. But it has been, yeah, it's been a, I have gone deep. I've been going to bed with manuals. I mean, I learned how to play instruments better instead of getting other people to come in and play them. I just, it's partly because there was one commodity that I had this time around that I've actually never, never had before. And that's time. Most valuable commodity of all. Yeah, it's mental. But I'd like everything else, everything else I've ever done, I've been like, when does, when does this need to be finished? And they've said, well, it was supposed to be done four weeks ago. So can you get a fucking move on? But this time I was like, when does this need to be finished? They're like, it doesn't really. We're not even sure why you're finishing it. <laughs> like, what's, what's the point? The world's shut. Uh, so it was, yeah, I got to really dig into all kinds of production stuff that I've, I've always kind of wanted to get more into, but because of the time constraints it's been much quicker to get someone in to do something um so i've always had like an engineer come in and help me record stuff so i can focus on the performance aspect of things but instead i just spent ages setting up everything so it worked and then waited for a day that was clear to actually do the stuff i wanted to do and then with drums and bass i i feel like i learned to play drums like i played a bit of drums before but i had I haven't really done that much, but then digging in for this record, I'd spent weeks just playing drums and then weeks just playing bass. And it's been, yeah, totally different thing. And then with the, yeah, with the, the kind of movement of the album and the, the kind of bold colors did come, they came out of the name, really. As soon as the title Interference of Light came in, I actually liked what it sounded like before I'd done the research to really knew what it meant. And it's to do with when light hits oil or bubbles and it's that it's those kind of swirly kind of rainbowish colors but there's less of them it's like kind of like when you see oil on the side of the road yeah it's that kind of swirly flashes of bright color and that for me a i just found kind of fascinating but also i wanted it to be represented in the music so there's quite a few quite bold color strokes of like instrumentational things that are just on one track and then never, never come back, which is the polar opposite of what I've done before. Cause there was one album, was maybe two albums where I limited myself to kind of characters. I was like, so I'm playing guitar. This guy's playing bass. He doesn't, doesn't necessarily exist, but it was just like the vibe that I wanted. And then there's this kind of drum vibe and there's these kind of backing vocalists. 
and then I'm allowed like one extra sound that's kind of subtly tucked in just to just to make every track a bit different. And I've done that in the past, but with this, I was kind of genre-wise and instrumentation-wise, I was just that can so let's take like the brass on Riding High. It's just a bright kind of paintbrush stroke that is just there and nowhere else. The same with the the choir at the end of Killing Time. There's a completely different kind of vibe and thing to, to A, anything I've done before, and B, anything that I've done with my voice. I was really kind of doing like an ELO. I mean, I, I did film myself doing it. I need to find the footage because it was hilarious because I was basically singing like an old lady, <laughs> uh, like an old opera singing lady. I, I really <laughs> got into the character. <laughs> uh, yeah, and just, yeah, so I just went with anything. And then again, with the amount of time, if something didn't work, I didn't have to give up on it, which I have has happened in the past because if something's not working and you're behind schedule, you've got to deliver the album, you've got a release date, it has to be released then because there's a label and they're releasing other stuff inside of it. And you just have to like dig in and get it, get it done. But I spent, I mean, I spent four months on one track, which is like unthinkable. Which track? In the past. Uh, Better Way. Better Way took a long, long time. Mainly just, it was all the drum stuff and just getting it to build right and getting, because it's got this, this inbuilt kind of shuffly groove. But if you lean it kind of swung, it kind of just made it sound weird. It, it just didn't, it didn't work. And then we had to go in and manually unswing everything and replay stuff. And then it was when the, when the kind of triplets across the 4-4 came in, that's, that's when it properly started coming together. But even then, getting the shape of it took, took ages because I had a ridiculous amount of tracks. I think there's like 400 on that. I mean, I know that there's 200 just vocals. So that's incredible. It was, yeah, it was a lot, of, a lot of stuff was sent in. So I had an amazing drummer called Matt Rachel. Was sending, he sent some drums in quite early. I had a string player who sent loads of string parts. And then it was kind of sifting through them and working out what needed to go where. And everyone, like all my closest friends sang on it and sent me stuff. And we put that in, like my son's on it, my fiance's on it, my brother and sister on it all their partners, like everyone. And it was such, and it was in the absolute height of like lockdown time. I think it was the second time round. It was that point where people were really starting to crack. And I was definitely one of them. First lockdown, I didn't really do anything. I just stared out windows feeling weird uh, and couldn't, like I genuinely couldn't function. I just, I just wanted to know like what the fuck was going on. Uh, and then second one, I was like, right, I can't just stare out windows and shit to do. So I just dug in. But the thing I dug into was one track. So every day I'd get up, get in the studio and work on the same thing. <laughs> totally maddening, completely lost it. And it kind of really fitted the kind of vibe of what was going on. So I think everyone was like, there must be better ways of doing things than this, because this is, this is pretty shit. Uh, and so it was kind of, yeah, came out of that. That was... I think that's the longest I've ever spent on, on anything, like on my, like personally on my own. I was working with Darren near the end of the process, but a lot of, a lot of the getting the shape of things I was kind of doing on my own and then bouncing it off people. And then, and then Darren's the executive producer for the whole thing. So it was basically the, with some things it was just, is this finished? With other things it was like, I'm not quite sure what to do with this. Do you want to be in from the ground? And we had a great time. We're using, 
I mean, obviously everyone was working in ways that they hadn't worked before. We were using some software called Audio Movers, which was invaluable, really. I mean, I don't think we could have made the album without it. What it is, is it sends the output from Pro Tools straight to a, like a streamable internet feed, so you can just grab it. And what so there was three of us. We've got Liam Nolan in Metropolis. He's mixing. We've got me and Darren in our rooms, and we're ju- like literally just listening and nothing else, and making notes. And then things kind of turn this up, turn this down. That's not sitting quite right. Can we take some bottom end out of that? Put some top end on this, and and then go again and just keep making notes. The longest, I think, we did a seven hour mixing session. And the most interesting thing about it is there's there's no visual aspect to it at all. You're just listening, which is really I think I think it's actually better than going to the room, which is what everyone's done before. Is you if you can, you go to where the guy's mixing it and you sit with him and you do the thing in his room. But there's a few issues with that. One is you're getting distracted by blinky lights and you're seeing the faders move, which can be massively deceiving. <laughs> um, and then also, you're in a room that you don't know. And however clean it is, it's still a room you don't know. But hearing the mix as it will be in your own space, which for me is kind of where I was making, where I was putting the records together, like amazingly useful. I feel like we've got better mixes that way than we, than we have done before. And then also recording-wise, with interference, with a lot of it, I was... I was sending my feed to Darren and I had Darren on like Zoom or WhatsApp or whatever we were using at the time. And he was just listening as I put the record together and being like, oh, actually, have you thought of trying this and doing this? Can you, you need to move that mic a bit further away. It's coming in a bit hot. And yeah, we did the drums and all the guitars kind of together, but apart. It's interesting. It's almost like you're both in your own comfortable individual spaces focusing, but then also working together through the connection of the internet. Yeah, I feel like it's... For me, it's like it's really opened my mind up to working with with other people that I've wanted to work with for years that are just too far away. So I've got like, like loads of friends in Australia because I've done loads of trips over there. And there's people that have been like, oh, it'd be really cool to just do like a little EP or do a thing. And there's, well, there's a goal as Tessa Rose Jackson in Amsterdam, who I've written, I've written with kind of once most albums, apart from this one. Um, and I'm just suddenly realizing that you could just link up via the internet and you could have loads of fun. I think it'd be it's a great way of kind of piecing ideas together. You mentioned as well a while back that you were working on a track yesterday and you kind of put it together quite quickly and you realized how much you had learned in the last few years working on this record. Yeah, I mean it's I've just done so we wrote it yesterday. I kind of put it together while we were writing. I just went in this morning, spent half an hour and it's pretty much mixed. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds it's, it just sounds like a record which is, is obviously the job but yeah, I think yeah I think before I was just just palming off stuff where I could just so I could focus on the bits I wanted to focus on but I think I've just gained like a kind of bigger overview of where I actually want to get to and how to get there and as I said I've been going to bed with manuals of all the equipment that I've got that I've never learned properly how to use I've watched so many <laughs> so many insanely boring tutorials on YouTube of people just telling me how to do stuff that I either have never learned how to do or knew once and have forgotten. In a monotone American accent. Oh, God, it's so <laughs> tedious. They're so bad. Uh, I don't know which... I don't know which annoy me more. There is the monotone American and then there's 
the super English nerd who's like, if you take the 4972 E59, and then if you flipped the polarity, something genuinely amazing happens. And you're like, oh my God, why are you so boring? And yeah, done a lot of that. And also, there's a, there's a theme running through the album, which ironically, I didn't realize how much of an issue I had with until I finished it. This kind of theme of hope and then acceptance. And I had no idea until I finished the issues that I had with acceptance. Because <laughs> to be honest, I totally broke when I finished the record. It was, it was, it was bad. I had a bad time. Because I got, I got to the end, and I think what I'd done is I'd built loads of internal structures, housing loads of stuff, because I kind of went from fairly like major life-changing disaster, and I had a few of those in a row, and there was one big thing that had been going on for years and years, which got sorted out in January and kind of finalized and was like finally okay. And then I was in lockdown, and then some some horrible things happened um, like in a row. And that's all while I was making the record. And I think I just housed all this stuff in like little boxes that were locked and in like lead rooms in my brain and just put it all to one side. I was like, I can't deal with that now because I'm, I'm working. So I'm just going to keep working. And it's kind of what you do when you go on tour. Like on tour, you don't let anything else in. You're kind of just like, a, you've just got one job. It's quite single-minded. <laughs> And then as soon as I finished, I just broke, completely crumbled as if all of it had only just happened. And it's only after kind of, kind of rebuilding a lot of my internal structures from the ground up in my brain that I've actually realized why I was singing about all the stuff. And it's that classic thing of the advice that you give to others that is the advice that you need to hear and just don't do. And I've totally, I've done it the whole record. I've been wanging on about acceptance <laughs> while kind of thinking quite uh, naively that I was, I was doing it until I realized that the reason I was singing about it so much is because it's the one thing that I really, really needed to do, which is strange. It's been a strange old journey. Does that give the record a certain tension in some aspects? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was, I don't think it's been an easy time for anyone. I tried not to write a lockdown record for many reasons. One is that it's a finite. So if I write just about this thing that everyone's going through, I, I don't think it's something people are going to want to revisit on a regular basis. <laughs> so I was kind of, everything was written for coming out of it and getting, getting through it and out the other side. Also, a lot of stuff about love, which I've always shied away from a bit before, just because it's, it's just, sometimes it's just, just too obvious. But then with, I mean, I, I proposed to my then girlfriend during lockdown. And I mean, there's, there's nothing, nothing makes you realize who you get on with more than being locked in the house with someone and having an amazing time. Like we had loads of fun and it was, loads of stupid stuff and it was just it was it was always like obviously there were ups and downs for for both of us it's not it's not been an easy time for anyone i think everyone's had to kind of massively reevaluate stuff i had done a huge amount of work as i've said uh so, yeah and it's so hard to explain why why i chose this album to 
to write more about that than any other than any other real subject because it's we've been we've been together for for quite a long time and i think it yeah i think it just hit me quite how how good i had it and how amazing the relationship was and i, I kind of couldn't help but but sing about it it's life affirming yeah it really is it's interesting as well because it sounds like you know we've spoken about growth a couple of times, but it sounds like you had a lot of technical growth in terms of where you were at with your music throughout making the record. But then after you finished it, that was when all the personal growth occurred. Yeah, I mean, I learned so much, mate. I learned more making this record than anything else I've, I've, I've ever done because I had to, I couldn't be lazy. And I, I worked in a state of like obsessive, borderline insanity, kind of in at six o'clock in the morning. I, I love working early. Early is my favorite time to work because no one rings you and <laughs> no one bothers you. And it's like your own private thing that you can do. And you've got like a good few hours before anyone else wakes up and wants you to do anything. And I, I love that time. I, I take advantage of that. Can it be tough in the winter though when it's kind of so dark and it can be a little bit dreary? I, I kind of quite like it. I, it's that old, relatively misguided, romantic notion of the the kind of struggling artists, like mild self-sabotage, but not taking it too far. But it's almost like that, like the pain is good. Like if I can force myself to get out of bed at like 5.30 and come in the studio with my dressing gown and sit down and just get straight on with stuff. I always, I always do things that I don't think I do at any other time. It's like my, my creative brain has woken up, but my fear is still fast asleep. And I'm just really brave. <laughs> At that time, and then come like, kind of, yeah, kind of nine, ten. Like my fear is, my fear is awake, and there's like all these other realizations and all these other kind of pressures and a lot of that stuff that I really tried to shelve for this album. So a lot of my perceptions of what, like, well, who the artist I am sounds like, and not just sticking to that because it is. I mean, obviously, there's there's parameters that are are kind of there because they are my background, my personality, the, the music I grew up listening to, there's all that, all that stuff has kind of built a thing, but I feel like it got hyper-focused over the last, the last kind of five, six years. And I, it felt amazing to, to kind of open it up a bit, a bit more and actually really get into production and really enjoy production and make records that I would be excited to listen to because of the sounds in them. And honestly, from a guitar point of view, I've, I've got very into guitar. I didn't keep that a secret. And I, I, I love playing. I love that. And I'm definitely about to enter another time period of really trying to push my playing up a level because I, well, I set myself a challenge when I was about 19, which was to keep three things on the same level, which was I wanted my playing to be on the same kind of technical level as my singing and the writing to always be on the same level as both just because i couldn't think of many people that had done it and it's like all my favorite people i think have, have done that either on like purposely or or by mistake but i was really conscious of it so when my playing kind of went up a notch i put loads of time into my voice i probably put more time into my voice th than anything else because although it's the most natural instrument. It's also the most intangible to understand. I've had, yeah, I've had loads of ups and downs and strength relationships and things that, I mean, I've had to learn some incredibly technical vocal stuff to undo some 
yeah, I've had to learn to reabsorb air pressure back into my lungs while I'm singing, which sounds totally mental, but it does work. Uh, <laughs> so there's all that stuff as well. And then over the years, I've kind of added more stuff to that. So I definitely put engineering and production on the same level as those because without those, the other bits don't get translated. So I kind of had to put time into those to get those up to the same level so I can sit on my own in a room with a pile of stuff and and make records that are just good to go because there's no there's no excuse for me not to be able to do that fascinating as well you know you were kind of talking earlier on about you had to redevelop these internal systems after you finished making the record in order to deal with the ups and downs that life deals us and there that internal system you're talking about about keeping everything on the same level is an internal system that keeps you constantly improving do you have any others like that in a similar fashion that are related to your music that keep you moving forward in a similar way? I mean, I purposely do, th- like I write things that I can't do or can't sing or can't play. It's being cruel to yourself. Yeah. Oh, it's so, it forces <laughs> me to get better. I mean, I, I did take, I've, there's uh, a song on this record uh, called Back that I took to my, my vocal coach. And as soon as it came in, she was like, what? what are you doing up there it like comes in on like a stupid note it's like a top f or something i think it's top f sharp it could just like the first note is stupidly high and she was like are you gonna move this down for live i was like yeah yeah (laughs) it's not even physically i don't know how i did it when i recorded it uh and all yeah it's just these yeah i just gotta i'd never want to i've never developed kind of writing systems i hate the idea of just doing the same thing every time and i like kind of limiting myself i like writing on like i've done quite a lot of writing on toy guitars or guitars that are really hard to play and it's kind of that and i guess the equivalent in art would be the i can't remember who it was but the guy that did the painting with matchsticks because it was so hard to make a mark that it made him really think about every single mark that he made and i like that kind of that limitation, like sometimes I write just with one string or like the bass pedals I find quite interesting. So you can sit there with a pad and play things with your feet. And I've written a few things like that. And piano, I'm not amazing at. So there's an instant kind of limitation there. Guitar-wise, it's it's keeping things kind of fluid and moving, but it is very easy to get caught up in being able to do fast clever technical things but that's not always music but that's not music isn't about being clever it's i mean sometimes you can do that and get the other bit right as well but the other bit is communicating ideas and if you're not doing that then there's absolutely no point in doing anything else and if you're not if you don't have anything to say that it doesn't matter how many artificial harmonics you put in a song people aren't going to want to listen to it and it is and it's actually it's very like i was in an, an interview the other day i talked a lot about eric roach the guy that taught he taught me guitar he was an amazing guitarist but it was his it was his kind of attitude to music itself because obviously he had a, a huge amount of technical ability but his main thing was like if you don't have if you're not saying anything with it, then there's no point, and I've really held on to that. Is that the first question you ask yourself when you're working on a song? What do I want to say with this? What am I trying to say with this? Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, it has to be... Actually, ironically, it was a Barry Manilow 
interview that I read a bit of the other day, I was just talking about songwriting, and it was like, so does the music or the lyrics come first? And he was like, no, the idea comes first. And I was like, actually, that's pretty bang on. Sure. Good on you, Madeline. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I think, yeah, I think it has to, because as, as technical as anything can be, like production can be amazing. You can make, I mean, the amount of stuff I can do with the room I'm sitting in, I can do literally any genre of music. I can make any noise in the world. I've got access to endless, endless things via things like Splice, where you can find endless samples. I've got like Moogs and like all kinds of stringed instruments from all over the world. It can do, it can do anything. It's a completely like totally blank piece of paper, but it has to, it has to communicate because if you're not communicating, it's not music because that's what music is. It's not about, and I've, I've definitely, I've been a hyper technical guitarist and I've really dug into that and I, I can do that. But the things that I love playing are the things that make people feel something and that, that is the job. How has the way that you go about thinking about communicating ideas in your music developed with time? I think I've actually kind of gone back to how I used to approach things. Because when you're, when you're young and something inexplicably goes very well, you don't really, you don't understand why and you don't have the confidence to just keep doing what you're doing and not not think about why people like to record so much. It's yeah, it's a very kind of precise trajectory, and I think it's. I remember reading something, and so, someone else was like describing their life of learning this thing, and it was exactly exactly the kind of pattern. And it's in the beginning, you kind of learn a lot of stuff, and you start thinking that you that you know a lot of stuff, which is dangerous. <laughs> and then you start applying the stuff that you think you know, and that kind of works, and you get something out of it, but there's a kind of self-consciousness to it that isn't, isn't what's required. And then you slowly start accepting that you know less and less and less. <laughs> and then you stop... So you kind of stop doing it for anyone else and you just start doing what feels right because you've accepted that you don't actually know anything and that's okay. And it is that, it's that thing of just sitting and you've got, you've got toys and you've got stuff that you know, but at the end of the day, you have no idea what you're doing and that is okay. <laughs> you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to kind of follow patterns. It's supposed to be, spontaneous and inventive and you can't do that if you're coming in with too many preconceptions about what's going to come out the other end and it's that letting go of trying to trying to please people oh actually that was the quote oh i think it was in the beginning nothing came in the middle nothing stayed and in the end nothing left and that's kind of, kind of sums it up for me. Is the beginning is struggling to like kind of get off the ground, and then you get off the ground, and then nothing really kind of sticks, and you feel like you're treading water, which is ironically a track on my fourth album. Um, and then when you finally relax, you realise that you've got all these tools, and you have like amassed something, so nothing like you haven't lost anything throughout the process of making all kinds of mistakes, as, as everyone does. And you kind of end up in this kind of acceptance 
of your own limitations and all that all those things and you can kind of you're, you're free to free to move and free to create and it's yeah it's a beautiful place to be well, that's probably what's allowed you to experiment so in so many different directions on this new album. If you had those fixed ideas, that would be impossible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I didn't, if something felt right, I followed it through to its conclusion, whatever it may be. And then I don't think there's anything I worked on that didn't make the record, which is weird and never happens. I mean, it's partly why it's so long and it is a long record, like 17, 17 tracks these days. This is pretty chunky. But then everyone's so different, you can get away with it. I hope so. I mean, that's, yeah, that's not for me to say. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I love the shape of the album. I put a lot of time into kind of the transitions and modes and it, that kind of whole end section. I like the way it kind of winds down and then you get the last track, which is the proper kind of riding into the sunset. Although the last track on the vinyl is different, which was... The whole different medium thing I, I really got into as a as a concept because I obviously I grew up I grew up with my parents' finals. Then I bought loads of CDs, and then everything went to streaming. I don't have a massively nostalgic feeling about CDs. I think it's quite. I think they're just a bit too small. <laughs> it's such a stupid thing, but I just I'm much more nostalgic about vinyl, and I, I do own a. I've got quite a lot of vinyl here and then with with putting this album onto vinyl it was that really difficult choice of and it was actually i was i had some friends around when in that week when people were allowed to do stuff and they came over and one of them put hit the ground run, running on vinyl which annoyed me because i don't really like listen to myself <laughs> while i eat well it's like but one thing that i realized is that the way that people listen to vinyl now is it's very much like a shared experience it's like a dinner party thing it's when people are around or it's when it's the end of the day you want to stick a record on and chill out and having three tracks on a side is just awful for that because i literally took like i had a sip of my drink i had two mouthfuls of food and then i had to get up and flip it and then before i'd finished the next mouthful i had to get up and flip it and change record again and i just felt like it wasn't it wasn't right for that for that format for that medium anymore so I, when we were talking about doing the vinyl for this record i was like is there a world where we could curate this album into something that works for vinyl so like a special vinyl playlist which is just there and no one else uh nowhere else and there was a bit of umming and there's a few phone calls and it was like yeah that seems like a go and then i was like okay so if i'm going to do that what's what's the best way of doing that so i got out a bunch of classic albums and i listened to them from start to finish and i kind of mapped out their ups and downs and their shape because obviously it ends in the middle and there's like a natural pause and then you flip it then it needs to kind of start again and then you need like a more definite ending and i kind of i went through lo loads of records and those things and was mapping out shapes and mood and doing loads of weird squiggly lines with like emotions written on them <laughs> <laughs> and tempos and things and then i sat down with the 17 tracks of the album and kind of put them into this sh shape that seemed to appear and weirdly the last two tracks swapped places for the vinyl which is very odd uh it's not what i expected to happen but it definitely makes sense for that for how that how that works and like the natural 
ending and so the first side ends with with here tonight which works really well that's just such an a, like a natural pause in the record anyway and then flipping it over comes in quite hard i think you go straight into the world away and then you well, it actually ends with getting late because i noticed that like all of the classic albums kind of have like a cruiser and then a then a down to end on so i, I did that it was really interesting and then with the cd i wanted to take advantage of all the things that cds can do obviously there's very little time constraints doesn't need to be because the thing was with vinyl like one of the main reasons i didn't want to just shove it all on one it's just because the sound quality goes down dramatically and i don't think you can charge someone a lot of money and vinyls are expensive for something that doesn't sound good so i really wanted to keep keep it down to like the real sweet spot of where it sounds the best and the flows right uh but then with the cd none of those constraints exist and like i, I love interludes i love kind of linking tracks via kind of little interesting things and obviously with the time constraints of vinyl it's a bit of i feel like it's a bit of a waste of the short amount of time you have but for the cd i wanted to yeah i wanted to put some interludes in and smooth the trajectory of things and i think we've put the single edits on there as well and it's just yeah it's just a a kind of longer product i think it's 22 tracks for the cd and then spotify's just 17 but obviously I've thought about the order of the 17, but also I'm well aware that people are going to shuffle it. People are going to pick tracks they like. Stuff's going to just get shuffled around and like whatever, whatever happens with those is, is not up to me. You kind of just put stuff out and see what happens. Does condensing it on vinyl down to the 11 though change the way that you think about how it sits as the 17? No, it did. I kind of, I've really treated them all quite separately. And it's weird, though, like the last track, being getting late is perfect for the vinyl and the last track being interference is perfect for the um perfect for spotify and and for the cd but i don't that seems seems weird the first track is the same but that was that was how that was how the album started as soon as i started working i was like this and not only is it how the album started it's definitely how the tour is going to start because it's just such like a solid intro just Massive drums, filthy guitars, let's do a thing, just straight in. But yeah, the last track changing was, was very odd. But I like I like the idea of actually bespokely I think I'm probably gonna do it with everything from now on and kind of lean things. So you get a different slightly different experience depending on what experience works best on that medium. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 